Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay-Sequetman territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetman-Ulu. And today's text, Jasper Jones by Craig Sylvie, is set in Corrigan, which is a fictional town in Western Australia, Joe. But there is actually a Corrigan in Western Australia. Mm. Which is similarly located, like, relative to Perth and stuff as the oh, book, okay. I think. And so I went with that. So okay. <laughs> Corrigan is the traditional home of the Noongar and Nayaki Nayaki peoples. Nice. So, Brenna, we should acknowledge right off the top that this was a listener request. And I'll personally acknowledge that this is a listener request from not a short time ago. So <laughs> this came in uh, a recommendation from listener Tony, who is an Australian, and they sent this in uh, last August. So that was before we had kind of structured that we were going to try to do more international texts. But it was helpful that Tony gave us a little bit of context that this was a very successful, very well regarded book. But apparently in Australia, it's not classified as young adult literature, which shocked me because Tony was rightfully acknowledging this is a book with a 13 year old protagonist. But also just to me, this is quintessentially YA. This to me was like, you know, Australian like bridge terabithia uh -huh. or like one of those stories with sort of a central defining tragedy that becomes the coming of age narrative for a whole cohort of kids. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you didn't just go with To Kill a Mockingbird. That seems like the most obvious <laughs> comparison. Well, it's interesting because To Kill a Mockingbird has that looking back aspect, uh, okay. which mm -hmm. makes it to me less less YAE like this is very immediate Charlie is mm -hmm. in it going he's, through it he's going through it um but yeah but you're right there is a there is a strong to kill a mockingbird reference as well as Puddinhead Wilson mm. by Mark Twain which Joe do you remember that when we took that third year American satire class together mm -hmm. we read Puddinhead Wilson I don't I knew the yeah. title sounded familiar but I couldn't remember if I knew anything about it yeah, we definitely read it in that class. And so I was going back and seeing all these connections. And it's really interesting that all the books that Charlie's reading mm -hmm. in the book are about race. Oh, yeah. It's all coincidental classes via dad. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we'll get into all of that today. But yeah, I want to thank Tony for this recommendation. This is probably not a book that would have crossed my path. No, absolutely and not. as we'll talk about today, it took me a while to get into it but once i was into it i was really into it and i really appreciated the writing mm -hmm. um and i think the narrative is doing some pretty interesting things so i'm excited to talk about it with you today yeah full cosine uh yeah i mean this is one of the reasons why we love hearing from listeners particularly mm -hmm. our international listeners who can shine a light on some local texts that we may not be familiar with you know it was based on Tony's recommendation that we looked into it. And then they also highlighted the fact that it was a film. So we were lucky yeah. enough to cover both of them. And I agree with you. It did take me a while to get into the book. And then I finally like really ended up enjoying it. I do think it's a little bit overwritten. The smacks a bit of Craig Sylvie still finding his voice as an author, like what needs to be in there because it's essential to the text and what could maybe be edited mm, out. I think that's fair. 
And then I watched the movie and I was like, very intrigued that the film was mostly positively received. Not because I think it's a bad movie, but just I think if you've read the book, this really feels like the Cliff's Notes version. (laughs) Like to the point where I got really mad with what they do with the mom character because I think it removes essential parts of the text to the point where it's like, I get it that you've got Tony Collette in this role, but like you needed to do better with this role. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it with you because I um I've been very well, I don't know. You know how I always have some feelings about the mom characters. About bad moms, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think it's really interesting in this book the way the bad mom is sort of there is no redemption for the bad mom Mm-mm. in the book. Whereas it's hard not to like Tony Collette anyway. So Exactly. I think it's a much more complicated choice in the film. And I don't mean complicated necessarily in a good way. I mean right. like a lot of her motivations make a lot less sense if exactly. she's a good mom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Bretto, what is Jasper Jones about? Because I'm assuming that a lot of folks are going to be like us and maybe haven't heard of this text. Yeah, so Jasper Jones is the story of a 13-year-old boy named Charlie Buckton. And it's sort of that classic tradition of YA where... Mm-hmm. We've got a young male protagonist who is the central focus of the book, and he's a white kid, and he's doing a coming of age. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his experiences are really informed by watching people do racisms at his two friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and also uh, women who come in and out of his life to shape his narrative, as opposed to providing any kind of real insight into their own individuality. Yeah, you've really got to just sort of accept that this yes. this is a very sort of traditional YA boy structured text and, yep. and you've just got to be okay with it or the novel will be difficult to read. And I honestly think that's part of what took me a long time to get into it okay. is that Charlie's two friends, Jasper Jones, who has not been his friend prior to the opening events of the text, mm-hmm. um, and his neighbor, Jeffrey Liu... These are two characters who are really, they're outsiders. Jasper Jones um, is Indigenous, and the way that the community treats Aboriginal people is like, it's really awful. And he's sort of, he becomes the community scapegoat for literally everything Everything. that goes wrong. (laughs) And then we have Jeffrey Liu, who's, uh, he's Vietnamese. His parents, well, his whole family, they've immigrated to this community. And the interesting thing to note is that the book is set in 65. Mm-hmm. The film moves it forward to 69. Yep. Um, but the backdrop of the Vietnam War is really important to the novel. Mm-hmm. Less so to the Less so to the film, film. <laughs> in a way that I found disappointing. But anyway, yeah. and I got to say, Joe, I was starting to tell you this off the top. And then I said I would save it for air. But okay. this was a real moment of like, Brenna is an ignorant dum-dum because... I don't know. And maybe it's just because of the context of being raised in Canada and like a defining part of the Canadian identity of a certain period was that we did not involve ourselves in Vietnam. Right. And like, you know, somewhere on the order of between 50 and 125,000 American teenagers and young adults, like they fled to Canada to avoid the draft. So mm-hmm. I really have this sense in my head that Vietnam was like an American conflict. Oh, So I had okay. no idea. I had no idea that Australia was sort of this involved in the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. that it and that it was this polarizing sort of a cultural 
moment or that they had a draft in Australia for the Vietnam War. Like mm-hmm. I knew nothing. Oh, okay. So I had to do a lot of background reading to understand like that context. <laughs> Why is everyone reacting so strongly? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that is the context that you need to have. So when the story opens, it opens basically with Jasper Jones tapping at Charlie's window and he takes him through the woods to see a young girl hanging from a tree in yep. the woods. It's almost like a murder mystery, except that the girl is just really the inciting incident and the kind of backdrop to envelop Charlie in this mystery. And really, it's not even a mystery per se. It's Mm -hmm. mostly about how Charlie needs to have his eyes open to the world he lives in. Mm -hmm. And so... Jasper has come to look for Charlie's help because he wants to he wants to cut the girl down. Laura is her name. Um, and he needs he he needs to do something because he knows the town will blame him for this. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do it. He assures Charlie he didn't do it. Um, as the story evolves, what we find out is that Laura and Jasper were were romantically involved, that Laura had a difficult home life that she was trying to escape, as did Jasper. And the two of them try to figure out who did it. And that, as you say, it's a bit of a murder mystery, right? They're trying to figure out who did it. But of all these complicating factors keep happening, like the mm-hmm. fact that the person who they think did do it is actually Jasper's grandfather and he didn't know. And the reason why he acts weird around him is because he wants this relationship back, but really he was responsible for Jasper's mother's death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have we have Laura's sister, Eliza, who blames herself for what happened because she watched it all happen. Of course, what we as adult readers know from the beginning is that Laura has died by suicide. And yeah. this is really about the community and the sense of sort of community responsibility for this this child's death. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, she, her father, had been sexually assaulting her. She tries to escape with Jasper. She thinks that he's broken up. It's like very Romeo and Juliet sort of oh, situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she, she ends her life in this most conspicuous place where she knows that Jasper will find her. Right. And she did leave a letter for Jasper. She did. But Eliza took the letter And as a result, Jasper blames himself in the same way that Eliza blames herself. And of Mm -hmm. course, Charlie ends up uncovering all of this, not really through deductive reasoning, but just Mm -mm. through a series of interactions, (laughs) right? Like he's he's not a detective, even though we do spend a lot of time talking about Batman and other things. Yeah. If nothing else, it's a snapshot of what this small town does to people, right? Like it squashes Mm. their potential. It's heavily racist it's deeply misogynist and it only really values and cares about its white upstanding sort of first class citizens Mm -hmm. and everybody else is just treated really horribly yeah absolutely and anybody who can't sort of i don't know uh like keep up appearances and Mm -hmm. and that's really what charlie's home life is like his dad is a professor at the local college and he's He's a good guy. Mm -hmm. And there's moments of like great strength, but there's also moments where he isn't the person who Charlie needs him to be. Right. Uh, Charlie's mother is awful. (laughs) She's abusive. (laughs) She's very abusive. And over the course of the narrative, you come to discover that there is a, there is a dead child that they've lost. They've lost a child. And 
you know, we don't get a lot of the mum's mm. psyche because it's focalized through Charlie. And I actually think this is something the book does really well, yep. is that it never leaves that focalization through Charlie. We never get to know sort of secret extra information. Mm-hmm. It's also the most frustrating thing about the book yep. because yep. we've got this mum who is so, she's abusive and she's she's violent and she's cruel. But she's complicated. Like there are reasons mm-hmm. why she is the way she is. And, you know, Charlie understands a part of it but he doesn't Mm -hmm. have the whole picture in part i think because his parents keep a lot of things in under the auspices of protecting him and his innocence but of course he's an inquisitive preteen on the cusp of becoming a man and what they're actually doing is shielding him and he he doesn't understand his mother's motivations like at one point he gets caught uh drunk because jasper has has taken him out so that they can commiserate and then he ends up getting discovered by the police and there's a town curfew because of course laura is missing and the community doesn't know where she is so his mom gets so mad at charlie that she makes him dig a pit in their backyard all day and then Mm -hmm. fill it back in and his hands are calloused and bleeding and he doesn't understand why she did this and you know to me it's the kind of central moment in their relationship apart from when he discovers that she's been secretly having an affair but I just think it's so illuminating about who she is and why she does the things that she does because she's all about keeping up appearances because she's a city lady who lives now in this one horse hick town that she absolutely hates and she wishes she could be (laughs) anywhere else but also she she cares about him but she doesn't like i think she actually resents the fact that he is still there and keeping her pinned here and you know there's all these subtleties like the fact that the office that charlie's dad uses to write his novel where Mm -hmm. he disappears to every night like basically as soon as they've eaten dinner he disappears into his office and works on this novel Mm -hmm. that room is like it's his office effectively but she only ever calls it the baby's room. Right. So like there's all of this kind of baggage under the surface, but because of the focalization through Charlie, we we never really get the whole picture. Yeah. Um, and again, it's one of those things. It's narratively extremely effective and also and very, very frustrating. <laughs> and also the movie just disappears all of it. I and so hate it's... it. I hate <laughs> it so much. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the movie, but I just, ooh, I have such strong feelings about what they keep and what they excise. And I'm baffled by some of the creative choices. I find the choices odd as well. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. But there's a few interesting things that I, I want to, like, I want to talk about Eliza. Mm-hmm. I think she's a fascinating character. So Eliza is, as we've already said, Laura's sister. She's also the girl who Charlie has a massive crush on. Of course. She has kind of uh, Audrey Hepburn vibes. Mm -hmm. And they are both keeping secrets because she knows that Laura is dead. Mm -hmm. And he knows where Laura's body is because he and and Jasper cut Laura down, tie a rock to her feet, and throw her in the dam. Yeah. Um, And so they're keeping these secrets, but they're also in these sort of tentative early stages of a relationship. Mm -hmm. There are moments that are quite sweet. There are also moments that are so frustrating, again, because Mm -hmm. we know all of this stuff that's lurking (laughs) beneath the surface. Anyone say anything, please, for the love of God, just open your mouths and confess. One person in this book, tell the truth, challenge 1965. Like, it's Mm -hmm. wild how many lies there are and, and how... 
how the town sort of conspires to create this silence that mm-hmm. no one feels like they can be truly open about who they are yeah i would say jeffrey is the only character who is true to themselves and all he wants to do is play cricket and be respected by the other people and you know i do love i love and hate the big moment for jeffrey where he actually finally gets to play in a game he becomes the hero he he manages the impossible which is like such a narrative trope And then he's immediately squashed by this massive burst of racism. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the four men from the community who have lost their jobs in the mine and see uh, Jeffrey's father as like this direct threat to their livelihood because Mm -hmm. he's sponsored by the mine owners to be in the community. They come and they destroy this beautiful garden that is Mm -hmm. like everybody in town walks past this garden just so they can enjoy it. Right. Jeffrey's dad makes an effort to grow all these, well, you know, they're probably plants from his mm-hmm. from the history of his life, but everybody yep. in town just calls them the exotic plants. <laughs> of course. And, you know, he's he's made this effort to turn this garden into this piece of home for himself. And these four vigilantes, effectively, not even vigilantes, they're just drunk idiots. Mm-hmm. They show up <laughs> and they destroy the garden and they beat Jeffrey. And it's a moment for... It's an important moment for Charlie to witness because his dad he calls finally to his steps father. up. Yeah, his dad's such a pacifist. Yeah, and his father comes in and he he steps in and he also he speaks with Jeffrey's dad after the fact and he tries to sort of smooth things over. But it's also interesting because it kind of to me echoed some of the themes in All American Boys mm. because. After that, so, you know, he does step in, he does the right thing, he steps in, he he and some of the other men from the street quell the violence and send the men packing. Yep. But when they go back to their house, his dad wants to distract Charlie from the experience. And so mm-hmm. he pours him a glass of port and they play this family game of cards. And it's this almost moment of truce between his parents as well, mm-hmm. because everybody's being sort of fun and playful with each other. Yeah. But it's also like... Let's not talk about it. Yeah, like, let's not talk about what happened. Let's not talk about all the ways we didn't step in before this moment. There's a Mm -hmm. scene prior to this where Jeffrey's mom is scalded by a cup of tea at a town meeting by a woman whose son has been killed in Vietnam and is reacting. Her her husband's killed in Vietnam and her son's about to be sent over. There we go. And so, you know, there's all these, I was going to say little moments. Scalding someone is not actually a little moment. But there are all these moments leading up to that extreme act of violence that no one speaks up about, including Charlie's father. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is also left to meditate on the fact that, you know, he's like, well, I bet I bet Jeffrey and his parents aren't playing cards and drinking port right now. Yeah. Like there's this opportunity and ability to, to step in and step out by choice, mm-hmm. as opposed to Jeffrey's family who is, they just have to live with whatever the town meets out to them. Right. Well, you said choice, but I would also say privilege. Yeah, totally. Like they get the opportunity to decide when it is they want to intervene and when they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is my frustration with the text is that, you know, we have so many examples of this mm-hmm. in pop culture where we have like a white kid who learns about the troubles of the world by watching their friend experience racism. It's a capital I important lesson. And I I really liked this book. I yeah. really liked all the characterizations. I really liked Charlie, but I was so... Did you spend the entire book being like, 
I would also enjoy Eliza's point of view or yes. Jeffrey's point of view or the yes. mother's point of view. <laughs> and it's so unfair of me, right? Because one of the things that is so good about this book is mm-hmm. the such careful focalization through Charlie to the point where you are often frustrated by his limited scope and his inability to sort of see what is really happening. Mm-hmm. And also, like, that's all good. And also, yeah, I could... Could a woman have an opinion in this book at any point? Could one of the characters who is subjected to the horrific racism of the town get to speak on their own behalf Mm -hmm. at any time? Like, no. Well, it's interesting that you say that because one of the other parts in Tony's email when they introduced this text to us was the fact that Craig Sylvie wrote a follow-up, not to this book, but like his subsequent novel, Honeybee, was apparently a big source of conversation and dialogue and criticism because it's a trans narrative written by a cisgender white dude. So I think maybe Sylvie looked at this book and said, okay, well, like, how do I push myself to write the perspectives of other people, but then stepped into that controversial arena. So Mm. in some ways, it's kind of better that he focused on the white dude because he could write from his own experience, but it doesn't make the text any less frustrating because yeah, we... We always hear from the white dude. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I just think in this case, you know, the experience that Jeffrey is living through in particular and the ways in which he he turns the other cheek over and Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again in the text. And I just so wanted to know what was going on inside his head. Because, (laughs) you know, from Charlie's perspective, it's just like, oh, Jeffrey is so brave. Jeffrey lets everything roll off his back. And it's like, those things are true, but also there's a cost to what Jeffrey is doing. Mm -hmm. It's called repression, Charlie. (laughs) Yeah. And Charlie can't see that cost, right? He's not, he's not privy to it at all. So I'm, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I loved and was frustrated by this read, and um, I'm, I'm glad we did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an impossibility with writing characters of a certain age, and particularly boys as well. Like, we should acknowledge that the book is filled with homophobic language, and yes, we're is. dropping the R word all the time. And yes, this is said in 1965. Uh, having lived in Australia, I can confirm it is frequently a very racist uh, population. Like that is a broad generalization. But I I heard a lot of stories and their treatment of indigenous characters, like what Jasper's experience is like in this book is, yes, I, I can confidently say that that is realistic. Mm. So there is a lot of that in this book where... I think we're touching on important topics. We're doing it through a lens of a 13-year-old who lacks the capacity and the maturity to really engage with it. And I think this is just the tension that we have as adult readers where we want things to push a little bit further, but they can't by virtue of who the character is and when the narrative is set. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I, I think that it's a sign of a... It's a sign of a well-crafted narrative that I was mm-hmm. so consistently disappointed in, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. There, this is a rich text. Like, it's not short, and I would say it's overwritten at times. As mm-hmm. I said, you know, there were a couple of points where I was like, okay, I think we're being a little fun and flighty with our word choices and how long some of these descriptive paragraphs are going on. Like, 
But you're right, you know, so much of this book is really interesting. Sylvie has a good voice, and Charlie is a memorable character, even if he does feel familiar. Like, this was a good, solid read, and I do feel like there's a reason it was highly celebrated in Australia, because I could see this being a highly teachable book for people like if you want to assign this to grade nine students and be like hey let's have a conversation about racism let's have a conversation about class yes absolutely and from the perspective of the dominant culture in a Mm -hmm. way that is useful when you are teaching members of the dominant culture i just wonder what that classroom experience would feel like for the Vietnamese kid or the Aboriginal kid, right? Yeah, it'd be incredibly didactic. You'd be like, yes, please tell me something I've never heard before. (laughs) (laughs) All right, can we talk about the movie? Yeah, let's switch over to the film. Courage is resistance to fear, not absence of fear. Good night. Jones. Where are we going? Ah! I didn't do it. I swear I didn't do it. Charlie, I need your help. Look in your face. Cut myself. Sleeping. My sister. She's gone missing. Laura Wishart has not been seen since Christmas Day. If you have any information, then please come forward. We have to tell the police. No, we can't. Nobody can know. Not until we find out who did this. We can't just solve this on our own. We don't have a choice. This is Corrigan. Nobody will believe me. I think I know who did it. They said that he shot a woman, that he hung her up. Hung her up. Where were you? We don't know who's out there. Charlie, you all right? This is crazy. Who's there? Are you ever going to listen to me? Charlie, wait! You have no idea who I am. All right, so Jasper Jones comes out in 2017. It is directed by Rachel Perkins, and it is written by Sean Grant as well as author Craig Sylvie. So he did have a hand in adapting his own text. It stars Levi Miller as Charlie... Angori Rice as Eliza, and folks, if you spent a large portion of the film's runtime wondering where you've seen her, she's Betty Brant in the new Spider-Man films. Oh. We also have Aaron L. McGrath as Jasper, Kevin Long as Jeffrey, Dan Wiley as Wes, that's Charlie's dad, and then Tony Collette gets the with credit, and Hugo Weaving gets the and credit for Mad Jack Lionel. And I won't lie, when I found out that Hugo Weaving was in this cast, I thought he was going to be Charlie's dad because Mm. it's the more significant role. And this is a glorified cameo. It is. And it's a shame because he does a lot with the role. And I wanted more of it. (laughs) I mean, it's the flashier role, so I can understand why you might give it to him. But yeah, he maybe has two scenes in this movie. We should note, by the way, we've seen uh, Levi Miller before. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was a little brother in A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen him before because he's uh, the lead character in a horror film that I really enjoy. But um, he's awful in Better Watch Out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, awful as in like, he's an awful character. He's a great actor. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I really liked him in this role. I thought mm-hmm. for a young actor, he's really carrying um, a difficult a part here. And yes. he does a good job with it. Um, I also want to note that Rachel Perkins, the director, mm-hmm. she is Aboriginal herself. Okay. And I think that's important to note given the context of the text. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, her father was the first Aboriginal Australian to ever graduate university. Wow, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Huge, yeah. And he's a, a huge activist uh, named Charles Perkins. And his work is, I think, really important to the conversation around, well, just Indigenous Australian rights in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a significant figure of that. So I think it's important to note that because I think that that brings a different perspective to Jasper's character. Mm-hmm. One that I I wanted more of (laughs) yeah i liked jasper in the film and i felt like he had this um this complexity and this depth Mm -hmm. and i also felt like his story gets totally overshadowed by charlie's (sighs) in a way that was a bummer (laughs) i groaned a lot throughout this film not because i think it's inherently a bad film I think it would probably be quite a a solid, enjoyable movie if I hadn't read the book. But as we've teased in the book portion of the episode, this film is just doing like it's touching on each of the points that we talked about. Like each character has a moment or something, Mm -hmm. but so much of the complexity has been dialed off to the point where I thought, you needed to lose some of the subplots so or even maybe some of these characters so that mm-hmm. you could actually do the narratives justice y- yes i mean yes <laughs> ultimately and the things that do get taken away are the things that i think add the most richness the and depth, complexity right? yeah so the vietnam war is barely present yep. we hear it sort of vaguely referenced in relation to the scalding incident. Yes. Um, but even then, it's – if you I don't know if you'd read the book, you would have understood what Mm-mm. the dynamic was that was happening there. It could just as easily be watched as like a sort of generic racism moment. Correct. Um, there is no backstory to Charlie's mother nope. at all. <laughs> right, I was so mad. I was so freaking mad. They do reference at one point that – she has family in the city but that comes when she announces that she's packing her car and leaving so you don't understand that she's like a frustrated socialite yeah exactly so you you don't understand why she feels so suppressed and in fact she doesn't seem unhappy for a large portion of the film you just think that her marriage isn't working but she loves charlie she is so affectionate with him to the point that when he has to dig the hole her reaction to it is 180 it's a whole personality flip and it doesn't make any sense no it's so weird and it's so confusing and I get it, right? Like, I get mm-hmm. that it you're not going to be able to make Tony Collette fully unlikable. But the beauty of Tony Collette is that she can play some pretty freaking troubled, yeah. complex... She's Tony freaking Collette. She can do nuance. She can do complicated. <laughs> yeah. So instead what they do is she's just kind of like funny, sarcastic mom. Mm-hmm. And you're never quite sure. Like, if you've read the book, you know that the thing she's saying to charlie are things that she means like when she's mean to charlie she is being mean to charlie right but in the film it always comes off as like this is just like her sense of humor Mm -hmm. i guess until she's making him dig a hole and you're like wait what (laughs) yeah 
Like it, it feels so extreme. Like the reaction is heads and tails above anything that we've seen her do in in the film. And yeah. they try to play it as I was just so worried about you. But even that, like it is too extreme a reaction for yeah. how she has treated him the rest of the film. I will say there is one moment that it, the film does that I think it does better than the book. Okay. Okay, so we've talked about this letter, right, that mm -hmm. um, Eliza finds and that she keeps from Jasper. And in the letter, not only do we find out about this horrific sexual relationship that her father has initiated and this abusive relationship that she's trapped in, but also that she's pregnant mm -hmm. and that Laura knows that baby is her father's and right. she's she just feels horrified and trapped and she doesn't know what to do. And in the book, we find out that at one point, Laura had confronted her mother about the relationship with oh. her father. And that just le that leads to her father attacking her, which is ultimately why she leaves the house. Mm -hmm. In the film, they excise that part. And yes. instead, what they have is after everything, Eliza takes the letter to her mom and Charlie comes with her mm -hmm. and they sit at the table and her mom is holding this cup of tea and yep. she passes her the letter and her mother reads the letter mm -hmm. and her says reaction, nothing. she says nothing. And then she slowly, slowly so rips slowly. <laughs> the letter into tiny pieces mm -hmm. and puts it in the tea. And then drinks it. And so, it's so It's really chilling. good. It's, it's really, really good. good. Like that woman has almost nothing to do in this movie and nope. she kills that scene. Mm -hmm. For me, that scene was such... That scene does a better job of exemplifying how silence works in the town mm -hmm. than any other single scene in the film. Because yeah. it's just like the whole time she's staring right at Eliza. Like she knows she's doing it. Mm -hmm. She's not like... Oh, she understands the implications perfectly. She understands everything that's happening and she chooses silence. And the way that scene works in the film i was just like oh yeah this mm -hmm. is why you want a movie because you get to see this happen right yeah. yeah it's so good and i think it just makes some of the other choices that much more frustrating though right like Agreed. one of the things that really bothered me about particularly the end of the film and it does happen to a certain extent in the book like we learn that jasper has decided to leave the town because he just can't be there anymore. So he does end up taking the money that he had planned to, you know, kind of elope or escape with Laura. Mm -hmm. And he leaves before I think all of this even comes out. And we learn that Jeffrey and, and Charlie continue to have like a relationship and like, you know, things don't really change in the aftermath of the violent attack at Jeffrey's house. Mm -hmm. But the film, literally, these characters just disappear they're just oh not in the end of the movie we never circle back to get any kind of closure and i recognize i'm asking for closure about racism that yeah. doesn't exist <laughs> but like there isn't even a point in the narrative to acknowledge these characters are a part of the story because it's just charlie's story that's the frustrating implication right because the book is very clear that charlie's coming of age is something that happens relationally, right? Mm -hmm. Like he wouldn't have this new perspective on the world. He wouldn't understand how people work if mm -hmm. it wasn't for his relationship to his mother, his relationship to Eliza, his relationship to Jasper, mm -hmm. and critically, his relationship to Jeffrey. Right. And it's frustrating because it's very pat and it's very like, 
well, the white kid <laughs> needs to learn a lesson kind yep. of thing. But it's at least present when he recognizes the like the inherent bravery in the way Jeffrey moves through the world compared mm-hmm. to everyone else in the town and everyone else he knows. Like, right. I've talked about all the reasons why that's frustrating, but it's also important mm-hmm. that Jeffrey still exists. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> in the film, it's basically like Jeffrey's very good to oops, no, very sad, very unhappy day. Like that's yep. Jeffrey's scene. And it's yep. great. Like I think the, the cricket good. match plays much better on screen than it does yeah. for pages in the book where if you don't know cricket, Which that's I like, do not. well, I'll just skip these 10 pages because <laughs> I know that he's getting points and he needs to get a lot of them. And he gets it. Yay. <laughs> it plays well as a cinematic moment on screen that and then the horrible racism bit with his dad in the flower garden and then jeffrey's just done he's not in the movie anymore no that's it bye bye (laughs) and it's frustrating because he's a fantastic character the actor does a lot with those moments that he's given and if you've read the book you are already in love with jeffrey like Mm -hmm. it is so easy to love this boy when you read the book and then you watch the film and you're like where am i jeffrey at Mm mm-hmm Where'd he go? (laughs) Uh, Do you have any other observations about the film? Did you find the Eliza treatment as good, better, worse than in the book? Oh, that's a good question. So what we haven't said is that at the end of the book, someone... Someone. Someone burns down Laura's family home. Mm -hmm. And it's not Jasper because he leaves town before it happens. Yeah. Um, it's Eliza. It's very it's obviously Eliza. Eliza. Eliza burns it down. Everyone understands it. And her dad nearly dies in the fire. So it's kind of mission accomplished. It's a little bit of good I for mean, her not quite vengeance. mission accomplished. Like we really wanted him to be dead. Oh, he's 100%. Not, he's, not, he's not dead enough. And also the, <laughs> the her mom doesn't get enough comeuppance either. No. Not enough comeupping. But you have this scene of Eliza sort of, you know that meme of the little girl and the mm-hmm. fire that the house on fire behind her like it's the cinematic equivalent of that so i liked it in so far as it's very clear that eliza regains her agency over the family in this moment whereas the book is a little bit more coy about it yeah but also i think that the complexity of eliza's character like so much else in the film is is really ultimately lost like mm-hmm. it's much more about a love story between eliza and charlie yeah. like we actually lose we lose track of laura <laughs> along the way and it becomes more about like eliza and charlie's story that is very true but do you think that it's meant to be presented as a parallel option like these kids can make it happen because they're both privileged and white whereas mm. you know laura was she was a damaged girl like she she was very much doing the like dead white girl story that we often see in media but thanks to her relationship with jasper it was like oh well this could never work like so they get the romeo and juliet ending and then eliza and charlie hypothetically get to have oh yeah this could still happen for them yeah i mean that does make sense i wanted more i want more for eliza than charlie it's not that i don't like charlie Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just that by, you know, at the end of the book, we have this sense of Eliza's desire to leave the town. We know more about her. We know what she wants from her life in Mm -hmm. the book in a way that everything that she wants in the film is Charlie. 
effectively. Sure. Yeah. And like, it was always going to be that. Like, I, I do understand, like, I understand fundamentally how movies work. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's still, again, because there's so much that can happen in the book. And the book is also really long. Like, I don't think we've said that. It's, <laughs> it's quite long. It's a long book. There's a lot of space to do all this stuff. And I do yeah, recognize yeah. that the film doesn't have that. Oh, um, here's another thing <laughs> that gets excised from the film. <laughs> okay. Charlie's not a writer in the film. Right. Yeah. It, it seemed like because so much of the book is drawing parallels to like previous generations, yeah. other characters, like how Charlie learns to become a man and who he is, is often paralleled by other characters and their journeys. So like his relationship to his father as a burgeoning writer, and then his dad is secretly a great writer who's written like the next Australian classic is hugely important to their relationship in the book. And then in the film, it's just like, dad wrote a book. He wants me to read it, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it. Whereas in the book, the book has this really interesting twist to that relationship that I find fascinating, which is that, you know, Charlie imagines that his dad is writing a book, but that nothing will come of it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Charlie will be the one to write the novel and sort of succeed. Right. And then his father writes the book, and... Charlie has this reaction that he's been betrayed. And he he uses that language, right? That his father has betrayed him. And in fact, he finds out about his father's book and his mother's affair in the same night. Yeah. And he refers to them as the time both his parents betrayed him. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, okay. Like, he really really has this sense of sort of who he is as the the successor to his father's failures. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that his father is not in fact a failure, then who is Charlie, right? Yep. Like what does he have left? It's a fascinating dynamic and that's completely excised. Mm-hmm. He he only writes insofar as he's like trying to scratch out a solution to the mystery as opposed to the writing being like writing for writing's sake. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. And the other thing that the film does unnecessarily, I think is it makes it so that the affair that Charlie's mother is having mm-hmm. is with the police chief, Sarge. Yeah. There is that kind of gratifying moment where when Charlie finds her and she tries to drag him home and he resists, he pulls out of her hands and then he turns to the police chief and he says, you should be doing your job. Yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. enjoy that because it feels like an appropriate commentary on how quickly and easily the town has kind of given up looking for Laura because yeah. we're just more interested in doing other things. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I just felt like it was it was weirdly tidy in a way. In oh, the yeah. book, it's just it, he describes him as like some slob like he's just some random guy who he's never seen before and doesn't really know like what the connection is yeah which is extra fitting because his mom is this kind of like all about appearances socialite so the idea that she wouldn't even pick someone of importance she's slumming it that's how far she's fallen yeah there's just so much more complexity in the book and you're right it's by virtue of its length like we get to play around a lot more we can really investigate and even interrogate some of these relationships and that's what makes it so successful the film could never hope to accomplish that but i do think by trying to squeeze in some of the iconic moments from the book they don't really do anybody's story justice except charlie yeah yeah it becomes much more about charlie's coming of age as opposed Mm -hmm. to this entire generation of kids this like group of friends who sort of coalesce around this central tragedy and much Mm -hmm. more the like that's much more the kind of ya trope that i think the book is playing into yeah the film is a coming of age story about racism 
Yeah. Okay, um... Let's play Why a Bingo. Yeah, I was going to say, let's Why a Bingo it. <laughs> bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, what have you got? Okay, we've already said this, but like coincidental classes, mm-hmm. not in the form of classes, because this is actually summer vacation for these kids. Yep. Um, great summer vacation, by the way. <laughs> Everybody loves that Christmas to New Year summer vacation in Australia. <laughs> but his father basically has, yeah, where everybody gets murdered, apparently. Um, but his father <laughs> basically has uh, like kind of an assigned reading list that he's working through. So yeah, and they're all about racism, literally every book. So yep. that yep. fits. Um, we definitely have abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost every family seems to have some sort of abusive secret. Yeah, which I like. I, you know, I, I love a secret from a small town narrative. <laughs> the way you said that, almost every family has an abusive story. I love the story. abuse I in love all it. of the families. It's my favorite. Um, and there's a female director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it is over the holidays because, as we said, Christmas to New Year, so we're technically hitting two it totally is. In fact, we couldn't have the climactic scene that we have without the New Year's fireworks. So mm-hmm. it's a critical part. Yeah. Obviously, we have a dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and dead family, actually, because of all the all the Vietnam War deaths that are happening and both on both sides. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about that scene where, like, Jeffrey finds out his a bunch of his family's been killed in Vietnam and there's nothing he can do to, like, comfort his mom. Like, yeah. th- it's just... I found all of that war stuff so interesting that to see it gone from the film was like super surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think the the film telegraphs that by moving the timeline up, right? Yeah. Like that's why it's 69, not 65. Totally. Uh, we do have borrowed time because it's inevitable that Jasper will either be caught or Laura's body will be discovered. Ironically enough, the latter <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah absolutely not, nothing really not neither of those things really happen but it does <laughs> they are waiting for it for the entire film mm-hmm. now question to you would you count eliza as a manic pixie dream girl oh i don't I do you do i i do she seems perfect because to of me. the fake like british she, accent yeah like it, it, <laughs> just the way that the story is written from charlie's point of view like she is the girl who can save him oh yeah that's true that does make sense and then, of course, we have good friendship between oh, Charlie and Jeffrey. Charlie and Jeffrey. Like, honestly, Charlie does not deserve Jeffrey. Can I just no. say that very clearly? He does not deserve mm-hmm. that boy. Ugh. <laughs> and then finally, I have stunt casting for Colette and Weaving. That's fair. And can I just, you're going to mad at me. Okay. Um, aged up. Really? Well, he's 13 in the book and he's 14 in the movie oh wow dramatic (laughs) (laughs) but it seems such an arbitrary change i think that's my issue with the film in general is that it's one thing to see a change and understand even Mm -hmm. if you disagree with it sure what i felt like happened in the film is just a lot of weird arbitrary changes yeah and i'll admit i'm always perplexed when the original source author is involved in the adaptation and they're making these choices for their text like i mean this is a a co-credit so maybe it was a decision he had to make a compromise for or something but so much of this like if i was craig sylvia i would look at the film and say well this just is not doing my book justice no i totally agree to, to be clear i enjoyed this movie and i, I really think the performances it. are all really good it's just like when i was looking at the adaptation i just kept going oh i want more well it's interesting too because you are usually extremely good at separating the mm-hmm. film from the text like you're the first one to point out to me always that like they're different 
pieces yes. of art doing different things. And I think it's actually a testament to how deeply you connect with the characters over the course of the book mm-hmm. that you end up feeling that strongly about the film. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's all about the character work, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's Jasper Jones. Folks, if you have not checked this out, I I would really recommend yes. definitely the book. But if you only have a, like two hours, like the movie is perfectly entertaining. Everybody is really, really good in it. Just if you only watch the film and don't read the book, just know that there is a backstory for everything that's happening. <laughs> it's so true. Everyone is more complicated than they seem in the film. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, Joe. So... Having put this uh, selection to bed, I think we're going to look ahead to book club next week, right? We are indeed. Yeah, we're staying abroad, but not in Australia. (laughs) No, we're off to the UK with a Cuban-American protagonist in The Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. It's a fun read. I really encourage you to pick it up and check it out with us. It looks long, but it's not going to take you long. Uh, And... It's too late for you to write in for book club to get into the main episode, but just a reminder that we really are looking for your responses about anything. So if you've checked out Jasper Jones, or if you do get to Cuban Girls Guide to Tea and Tomorrow and want to let us know your thoughts, we are still collecting your responses for our mailbag episodes. So please Mm -hmm. don't hesitate to get in touch if you've got thoughts. So you can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you have something longer that you'd like included in the mailbag, the best way to send that to us is by email, mm-hmm. hkhspod at gmail.com. Right. And Brenna, if they didn't get to this book club, but they want to participate in the next one, what should they be reading? Ooh, good question. So we are reading Apple by Eric Gansworth. It's a memoir in verse. Ah. I'm very, very excited about it. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) trepidatious about this, but I'm also excited. (laughs) I like to mix it up formally for you, Joe. It's like my version of assigning a horror movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right, folks. So uh, yeah, again, I want to reiterate what Joe said. I know we were hard on the film, but Jasper Jones is worth your time. It's worth checking out. It's just that the book is really, really good. So thank you, Tony, again, for the recommendation. It was it was definitely welcome. And if you are an international listener abroad and you're thinking, oh man, I have an amazing book that Brenna and Joe totally won't have heard about and I want them to check it out. That is also a good thing to write in about because uh, we're actively looking for your suggestions. Mm-hmm. Particularly if they have an adaptation. That is our sweet spot right now. Yes, definitely. So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Yeah, of the kind of, I keep not being able to remember the name of the film I'm thinking about that came out in November that does the same thing. Mm. Oh, well, never mind. Cut all this out because it's not helpful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you are an international listener abroad and you're thinking, oh, man, I have a favorite book that Brenna and Let's just call you Devin. (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting husband. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally.